are singing to our God. And, and, as, and as disciples of Christ, followers of Jesus, everything we do falls into one of these three categories. And we talk about this in our church, that as followers of Jesus Christ, we love our God, our Lord Jesus Christ. We love one another, and we love the world. In everything that we do, Colossians chapter 3, we do it in the name of Jesus to love God, to love others, and to love the world. And I want to remind us again that as we sing, that's, that our singing ought to reflect in all three of these areas. That's our mission. That's what we do. That our singing, first and foremost, is a vertical activity that we're singing, showing our love and our thanksgiving to our God. But not only a vertical thing, but it is also a horizontal thing that when we sing, we saw last week that we ought to sing for one another, sing over one another, addressing one another in songs and psalms and spiritual hymns. That we are to love one another with the things that we sing because there are brothers and sisters that might be stumbling that are need a reminder of those truths about God and the gospel. And today we're going to hit the last one that we see singing. We know that singing from scripture is beyond vertical, beyond horizontal, and ultimately it is external. That there is an outward a dimension to our singing. That in our singing, actually, we bear witness to Christ. We bear witness to the great news of the gospel of Jesus by showing it to the world and singing over the world and bringing the gospel to the ends of the earth. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Now, before we do that, I want to share a little, uh, and, and I want to share with you a documentary that I've watched maybe over a year ago. Um, I don't look like someone who likes rap, uh, but I'm intrigued by the art form of rap songs. Uh, About a year ago, I watched this documentary between Tupac and Notorious B.I.G. If you have no idea who they are, that is not important for this sermon. But the point I want to make is when I watched that documentary, one of the most intriguing things for me about rap is this. That they tend to have this a track of sound that they would come together. The the artist or the musician would think of a track that would be playing in the background. And as they play in the background, they start working on the lyrics that, that describe whatever that they are going through. And, and granted, many of them are, are, have to do, uh, use profane words and, and inappropriate things. But um, oftentimes, they say words that are very meaningful and realistic in what they're going through in their lives. And the reason why I share this with you is because the psalm that we're going to look at today is from Psalm chapter 96. In that song, we see that there is this track playing in the background that God keeps uh, giving us to, to remind us of this important command that we have. That His mission for this world, in this world. And also beyond it, there is also a, a, a note that we call us to sing to as we explore this psalm. So here's what I want to, if you have your Bible with you, please turn to Psalm chapter 96. Psalm chapter 96 we're going to read from the entire psalm today. Psalm chapter 96, verse 1 says this. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless His name. Tell of His salvation from day to day. Declare His glory among the nations. His marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. 
Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him, all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the Lord at the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the people in his faithfulness. Let's pray together. Father, be with me right now. Stand in my body. Speak through my vocal cord. Be in our minds. Help us to listen. Help us to capture the very words and thoughts that you want us to hear. And God, I pray that the meditations of our hearts will be pleasing to you. God, I pray that you will do a work in our hearts that we will not just be hearers of your words, but be doers of your words. God, use me to proclaim your message. May your Holy Spirit convict us, not just intellectually, but also internally, but also externally to live out the things that you call us to do today. So God, we offer this time to you. Help us to be good listeners of your word. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. And as we read this psalm, I hope one of the things you see, one of the things, one of the track that was laid behind this song is this idea of all the earth. This idea of all the nations, this idea of all the peoples. You might be wondering when you're reading this, it says all, all the peoples. is not a grammatical mistake. It's actually God is referring to every people, every person, all the entire earth. The psalmist, basically from verse 1 all the way to the end, is tra- tracing with us what God intends to do, what God purposes to do in the whole wide world through every nation, every person. I want to follow along with us. Uh, there are three things, that at least three things that God is doing among the nations and calling us to do as his people for his nation. The first one is this, that we are to declare his glory. Verse 3, declare his glory among the nations. His marvelous works among all the peoples. We're called as people of God to tell, to proclaim, to make known to the rest of the world how great our God is. That is the task that we laid before us. The psalmist said that's what we are all, what our lives ought to be about. In telling, proclaiming, showing. But that's not all. That we are to do this all over the world and, and, and among all the nations, every people. We're called to do a second thing. We're called to summon these nations to sing with us. Summon these nations to join in in our worship of God. See, we're not, we're not only to tell them about it because verse 7 to 9 says this. The word that you need to circle there is ascribe. To give. To give glory. To give the right credit. It says this, ascribe to the Lord. Oh, families, not of some people, but all the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord the, His glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory that is due His name. Bring an offering. Come to His courts. Worship the Lord. Tremble before Him. See, we're not only calling people, telling people about God. We're summoning Him. We're calling them to join us in this worship. What that really means is that we need to bring the gospel so that people will come under the direct reign and lordship of our, of our, of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And when they do that, they become part of the worship. God has always intended for the whole world to be covered by His glory. He wanted to make known His glory to the ends of the earth. So we are to tell 
So we are to summon and ask people and, and share the gospel and bring people to Christ. And here's the third one. We are to warn them of the impending judgment. While all that in verse 1 to 10 sounds really good, well, by the time we hit verse 13, uh, at the end of verse 10, we see that God will judge the peoples with equity. Yes, we are to declare. Yes, we are to call them to worship. But here's the last thing. We need to warn people of the impending judgment. Warn people that one day God will judge all of us. You see, what verse 5 says is true for you and for me, that we worship worthless idols. We worship them because somehow we think that it works for our lives. Think about what's going on in today's world right now. All those idols that the things that we put our trust in are crumbling down. And what we need to warn of people at this time and, uh, and as long as we live on earth, what God intends for, intends for us to do in this world is to warn them that there will be a judgment at the end. And not a judgment that is a biased judgment. Because at the end of this psalm, it says that God will judge the world in true righteousness. And while at this time, it seems like all can, can go well, all evil is being allowed, God said we need to warn the nations that there will be a final judgment on earth. That we're all each held accountable to that. And so that's what God wants to do in this nation. And I want you to focus on particularly which nation. Because in, if you go back to this track that's going on in this song, the, the, the key word there is all. All the earth. God wants all the earth to know of him. Wants all the earth to worship him. Wants all the earth to be, to be warned of the, uh, of the judgment. Not only all the earth, all the peoples. Every people group, every people group, every ethnicity. Among all the nations. You know, I pay money to learn Greek and Hebrew in seminary. You know, the word in Hebrew, the word all in Hebrew, have a very special meaning. It literally means all. That's it, all. It's the same thing as English, all. God is not, uh, is not in is not satisfied with just some. He wants all. He wants all the nations, every people. This is why in Revelation chapter 5, we see at the final, we get a peek at that final scene in, in, in the history of the world that people from every nation, every tribe, every tongue will worship the Lord. That's what God is, is, is gearing up toward. That's what God is doing in our world from the beginning in Genesis chapter 3, ever since the fall had begun. You look at the map here. I hope that you get yourself familiar with these two groups, these two activities, uh, these two organizations called Joshua Project and Open Doors. There are many other organizations that does it, but, but I want to show you something here. Because right now in this world, there's over 7 billion people. There are many ways to categorize people by ethnicity, by, by various ways, by, by location, geographic location. But one way that God wants us to see in this picture of 7 billion people is not by just by ethnicity but by how reached they are. This picture is by the courtesy of IMB International Mission Board. 2018, they put out this result. That in this world today, today we're over 7 billion people. And between among these 7 billion people, there are two groups of people. One group is called the reached people. Reached people means that there are over 2% of evangelical Christians, churches that are uh, residing and sharing the gospel in those people group. And there are about 45% of all the world, 75% of three, uh, of seven, 
uh, 7 billion people that are considered to living in a rich area, meaning that they get a choice to choose not to believe in Christ. That they have access to the gospel, whether by print, by internet, or by, uh, by a neighbor, by a church in the location. 45% of this world have access to the gospel, can make a decision to put their faith in Christ. And we ought to give rejoice over the fact that the, the progress of the gospel, that's 45% of the people in this world. That's almost three, almost up to four billion people have access to this, this, the, the good news of Jesus. But on the flip side, here's the bad news. If 45% of people are reached, then that means there are 55% of people in this world. 4.4 billion people in this world who have never heard of Jesus Christ. That if you were to tell them who Jesus Christ is, they would think that they would, they would be a, a foreign name to them. That means this, these people, even if they want to reject Jesus, they couldn't because they never heard of Jesus. These, play, these people are lived in places that they have no access to the gospel. There are no Christians going in. They are unreached because the gospel has not been taken to them. 55%. 4.4 billion people in this world today have no access to the gospel. When, when God used the psalmist to write Psalm 96, he is referring to the people. There are 45% that have heard the gospel. Now there are 55% that have yet to have access to the gospel. That's the nation. That's the people that God is referring to. It was Joseph Stalin who says this, one death is a tragedy. Millions of deaths is just statistics. And I think sometimes when we look at a picture, a diagram like this, we can easily just chalk it up as a statistic. But every soul that do not have Christ, that does not have Christ, will end in eternal judgment by God. Man, nothing wrecked my spiritual life more than I began the habit of praying for these unreached people group. I encourage you to go visit the site joshuaproject.net, to go visit the site opendoorsusa.org, and just start praying for these unreached people. Every morning I open up my, my app to look at the people group that I'm praying for. I, I walk away just wondering, how on earth can it, literally, how on earth can people not know about Jesus? When the news of Jesus everywhere in this country, there are places in this world that have never seen a Bible, never seen and met a Christian that share with them about the love of Jesus. How could that be? And this is exactly what God is calling us to do in this passage. That he was to bring, declare the goodness to those corners and crevices of the world and nations, people groups of the world that have yet to hear about Christ. And here's the crazy thing God said. He wants to use you and I to do that. God's plan to declare his glory all over the world is not by, by sending, dropping Bibles all over the place, mass producing that on the internet. He said, I want to use you and I as the people of God to declare, to tell of the marvelous deed, to warn them of the judgment, to bring them into salvation. God has always been in the process of bringing people to Christ. God has always been a missional God. 
if you join us uh, our, our, in our sermon series, last, uh, last sermon series, we, we track through the Bible. And one of the, one of the major points that we see, major truth we see is that we worship a God who is a missional God. From the very moment when sin entered into the world, God has set forth a plan to bring lost people like me, like you, to come restore back us back to God the Father. He made people like Abraham, gave him a promise not just to bless him, but make him to be a blessing to the families of the earth. You see, God never just blessed us so that we can be blessed. He blessed us so that he can use us to be a blessing for other people. God used Abraham. God used the nation of Israel. God took them out of Egypt. Why? Yes, to release them from, from, from fear, from slavery. But more than that, God is making them, in Exodus 19.6, to make them a kingdom of priests, a holy nation, so that the people outside of Israel will look at them and say, Wow, they are so attractive, so beautiful, so contrasting to the, to the world that it will draw them to want to come to believe in their God. Even in the law that they believe in, the law that God gave them is not to restrict them, but to show the rest of the world what a great God that they have. Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 7 says, this is for people, the, the purpose of the law is for people to ask this, for what great nation is there that has a God so near to it, as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon Him. Even when the Israelites were in disobedience, God continued to call them to preserve them to be like the nation. Isaiah chapter 49 says, I will make you as a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. God's purpose and intent has always, always, always been bringing His glorious goodness to all the earth, every nation, every people. And that's not just in the Old Testament. I can go more and more. I can Even in the New Testament, look at what Jesus called himself as he entered into the world. He said, I, Jesus, is the light of the world. I am the light of the world. But before he left and went back to the Father, he started telling us that you are the light of the world. That you are to bring this light of Jesus into the world. When he left, right before he left, he gave us a command, one that we recite in our church. In Matthew 28, go and make disciples of all nations. In the early infancy stage of, our, of the New Testament church, God gave them a command again before Jesus went back up to heaven. That you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses here in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Man, I hope you're not tired of me telling you that this is God's purpose to do this to the ends of the earth, to bring the good news of Jesus to the end of the earth. Because 1 Peter reminds us, the Apostle Peter tells us that's exactly what what we're meant to do, that you and I are saved to be a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Is it just for us? No. Is that so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of this dark world into his marvelous light. You and I are made to do this. You see, when Jesus saves us from our sins and give us eternal life, he didn't just save us from sin. He actually saves us for his purpose. 
oh, yes, we get the benefit of the gospel and our salvation, eternal security. But more than that, God left us here on earth for a purpose. You and I are made to enjoy God, to worship God. And while we're on earth, to bring more people, all the nations, all the people, all, 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 the, all, all the earth to come to know Jesus. What that means is this. That as Christians that follow Jesus, you cannot just say yes to the gospel and receive salvation and say no to the Great Commission. What that means that is that you, as a believer, you cannot say yes to the gift of, gift of eternal life and then say no to the call to mission. You can no longer just say, I want to love Jesus with all of my heart and yet sit idly, have no concern of a world, that a lost world that's perishing with an empty heart without Jesus. We as believers are called to go to the nations. And it is until we figure that out, until we align our lives to that calling, we will continue to feel restless, empty, purposeless in our lives. And what I'm saying here is not that everyone needs to be a missionary, everyone needs to be a pastor. What I'm saying is that all of us are called to be living our lives for to bring the gospel to the nations. You can have the greatest career. You have the greatest family, the greatest possession. It doesn't matter. You will be sick to your soul unless you figure out your life is meant for something more. Your life is meant to declare the glory. Your life is meant to show the greatness of God, to show the world the splendor, majesty, strength, and beauty of our God. And when you figure that out, it will not matter whether you're living in China, Korea, Africa, Azerbaijan, here in Los Angeles, what job you have, how old you are, how mature you may be. It will not matter one bit because you will start realizing whatever you do matters because that is the calling that God has placed on your life. And you can do that as a teacher. You can do that as a stay-at-home mom. You can do it as a video blogger. Or I think the kids called it vlogger, something like that. You can be a student and still bring the gospel to the ends of the earth. When I think about people who align their lives to the global, global pursuit of God's glory, I think of my friend Ed, Ed Oyama, a college friend. He was serving overseas for a while, both in, in, in Asia, in Central Asia. But God called him back here. Now he is a, he's serving at uh, Cal State Long Beach. He's reaching out to college students. And you would think coming back home, that actually took him away from the global mission of God. To, and in fact, that was furthest away from the truth. Every summer, Ed and his family and some of his co laborers will go back over to overseas to run these summer camps that get opportunity for people to come to know Jesus. And even coronavirus can't stop this. I just saw his post yesterday on, on Instagram. They, they can no longer physically go to Bishkek in, in Kyrgyzstan to run these camp, gospel camp for them. You know what they did? They're go, going to do it through Zoom. You see, you don't need to be physically there to be uh, participating in the global mission of God. You can do it right there in your own backyard. And have a gospel camp to reach out to people. And here he is encouraging the people. You see, most of you cannot put a finger on where Bishkek is on the map. It's halfway, literally halfway around from where we are in Los Angeles. And yet, my friend Ed is aligning his calling to the global, global mission of God. And he's doing great work bringing the gospel to the ends of the earth. 
when I think of someone who does global work and global ministry, uh, mission for God, for his glory, I think of our, our sister, Monica. Many of our church knows, knows her because we partner with the organization that she serves called Chinese Christian Herald Crusade. Here she is in Los Angeles putting together programs, after-school programs for kids, summer programs, spring break program, winter break program. Every time we have an event at church that she always asks me, can I promote that? And she's like, all you need to do is just give me a flyer. I can disseminate that for 500 parents. Parents who are living in Los Angeles, who has ties back to also in China and the different parts of Asia. You see, when she ministered to these families, she's not just ministering to them alone. She's actually go, bringing the gospel to these families. And as these families starting to, to receive Christ and know Christ, they start sharing that with their family back in other parts of the country, in this world. I'm always amazed the amount of work my sister put in to serve the kingdom of God in a global mission. I tend to wake up pretty early, but my sister, there are times I've received texts and email from her at 2 or 3 in the morning. She wondered how come I opened it. I'm wondering how did she write it. You see, it doesn't matter what we do, where we are. All that matters is are we seeing our lives uh, to be called, uh, to be aligned to the calling of God to go for the global mission and, and glory of Christ. I think for many of us, this quarantine time has been very clarifying, and if we want it to be. If you want to take a moment to be honest with yourself, it can be very revealing to us. Because I think if we're honest, some of us are sitting there and wondering, how come my life is so empty? How come I'm giving my life over to such shallowness of the world? Perhaps you were thinking, man, this was the life I dreamed to have. Stay at home, binge watch, Netflix play video game, eat whenever I want. But three weeks into it, now you start to feel this restlessness in you. Yes, it's fun for a while, but now you're wondering, how, there's something missing. That there, It's got to be something more in my life than to do what I'm doing. And I want to encourage you. Perhaps God is speaking to you how you can leverage what you're doing, both at school, at work, at home. For the global glory, global mission for the glory of Christ. See, church, brothers and sisters in Christ, followers of Jesus, that's your calling. That's my calling. We are called, we are made to do this. And so all throughout this song, we see this soundtrack, this beagle, telling us about mission, about the nations. But here's another sound, another note that, that God is bringing. In fact, from the very beginning of the song, he hit this note, this note of singing into the psalm. Not only are we to declare to the nations, bring God, uh, bring, uh, bring, declare the greatness of God, mar- uh, the marvelous deeds of God to the world, we're called to sing. To God. Look at verse 1. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. I tell of his salvation from day to day. Let me ask you a question. Why do you think God will begin this psalm about the global mission, his pursuit of the world, of the nations and the peoples? Why would he begin by calling us to sing? 
that seems like the last thing that we ought to do. There's too much work to do, too much mission work to do. But yet the psalmist tells us that God through the psalmist writes to us and commands us to sing. And here's the simple reason why. I believe the reason why is because we can't call people to come worship God and sing to God, to know God, unless we ourselves are singing to God. You see, we can't summon people to go, come sing with us, come worship with us, if we ourselves are not worshiping and singing to God. You see, in the passage, it says that we're supposed to sing to God, and as we sing to God, we declare to people, we start telling people, we start proclaiming to people, and even the natural world, God's physical creation, will start worshiping God, let the heavens be glad, let the earth rejoice, the sea roar, the fuel exalt, everything in it, the trees of the forest sing for joy. You can't summon people to sing and worship God if you yourself are not singing and worship God yourself. The verse tells us in verse 1, Oh, sing to the Lord, I want to circle this word, a new song. Sing to the Lord a new song. You know what a new song is? A new song here is not just saying every time you come to worship, write a new song. After all, not all of us are musicians. After all, not all of us are musically talented, gifted in that way. But what I believe the psalmist is saying is when we come to sing a new song, we're not singing a new song from a temporal, a time sense of that word new. What he's saying is that we need to come sing a new song because we have a new, we have a vibrant relationship, a new experience of God, an ongoing, consistent, close relationship with God. So when we sing, we're not coming to sing an old song about something I've experienced before only, but that I'm singing that same song with a new experience of who God is. Let me unpack that a little bit for you. What that means is that when you sing, how great is our God, you're not singing only what the, uh, the, 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 the songwriter wrote, how great is our God, his experience of God. All the crumbles of your past, how great God was for you in the past. And while we ought to sing greatly, loudly for that, God here is saying, sing a new song. Sing that new song of your experience of God's goodness. How great has God been to you today? Have you experienced that? When you experience that, sing it. Sing that new song to God. How great is our God? Sing it with vibrancy, singing with an experiential knowledge of what God is. When we sing the goodness of God, are we singing because God was good for us when we first put our faith in Him? Or are we singing that God is good today, even though I found out that someone in my family is suffering and dealing with coronavirus, that I continue to trust that God is good. He continues to provide a shelter, food for us. When you sing forgiveness of God, are you singing that God forgave you once? Or are you singing with a real new, up close and personal experience that God has forgiven your sins as you struggle, that he has hold you, he has convicted you of your sin and, and forgiven your sin and released you of the shame and the guilt that you're facing? You see, I believe that our singing is powerful witness to this world. It is powerful witness when it is real for us. But every time we sing, it is a new song in my heart that because I've experienced God so closely that I've, I know God, not just from, from cognitive sense, intellectual sense, I know God because He's at work in my life. And imagine a world, uh, a non-believer coming to our church when we can gather again physically, and we're all singing this new song to God because God has been so true to my life today, today. And it was true back then, it was true today. 
And I'm saying that, and how can a non-believer not be, be moved by that? And we are a world that can smell a fig from a mile away. But when non-believers sitting among us, hear us sing these songs, might be just a whisper of a song. But they took a whiff of the fragrance of Christ in us. When it is so real that they know how we've gone through and walked with Christ, how Christ has been there for us, enough for us, and they hear that. I don't care how, how hard and hard they might be. Man, I believe the grace of God can melt that heart. See, our singing can become a powerful witness, a radical witness to our non-believing friends. And that's why God says, sing to the Lord a new song. But perhaps that's also the problem for many of us, isn't it? That our singing is powerless because we believe in a powerless God. Our singing is a dull and boring song because we are having a dull and boring relationship with God. That, are, that our, our, our songs are weak, our songs are powerless because we simply are not trusting, putting faith in the God of the Bible, but we limit him, put him in a box, and we drifted away from him. If that describes you and if you're struggling, I want to encourage you. We had a great opportunity this week as we enter into the week of Passion Week. Traditionally, we call it Passion Week, not because we're passionate about, but because of the word passion means suffering in Latin. That this week is the week when Jesus will be celebrated on Palm Sunday, but throughout the week will get increasingly worse because the people will start turning on him, ultimately ending on him being on the cross. But of course, we know Sunday will come. But I want to encourage you, if you feel like your love for God has been cold, you've been drifted away from God, this week, spend time in the end of Matthew chapter 27 and on, uh, 21 and on. Re-engage with Christ. Come before Christ and let him speak to you and what he has done in your life. And so when you're singing, when you're singing will become alive again because of the grace and the mercy of God. Let him remind you once again that he has no rival, that he has purchased you with his own life. See, our singing can become a powerful witness, not only to the world, a lost world who don't know Jesus. I believe our singing can be a powerful witness for ourselves. Because we ought to sing a new song, to sing songs that remind us of the beauty and the treasure of the gospel that we have. Because when we start singing, being reminded of the greatness of God, the love of Christ, in spite of us, we start singing how beautiful his name is. And we can only sing that because we know how unbeautiful we were with our sins. That's the way to stir our passion for Christ. But this is the reason why we ought to sing of the mighty power of God that made the mountains rise, that spread the flowing seas abroad and built the lofty sky. We have this powerful God who created the whole world, yet he was willing to come on earth, send his son to come on earth. The deep love of our father, we got to sing the deep, the father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that he would give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. 
Man, when we sing that, it got to stir passion in us that we were once undeserving of this grace, this love of Father so deep that he was willing to sacrifice us and bring us back. And when that happened, we sing of the reality that we have, that till on that cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. For every sin on him was laid here in the death of Christ I live. I needed to remember that today, that in death of Christ I live. And that grace continues. That even though we're saved, we continue to struggle and we fall. We sing of the gospel, the continual work of the gospel, the sanctifying work of the gospel. We sing, praise the Lord. His mercy is more. Stronger than darkness, new every morn. My sins, they are many. His mercy is more. This is why we got to sing. So that we will be stirred to live a life that is, worship, or, uh, that is consistent, that, is, that reminds us of the reality of the gospel that we live in. I and mean, here's the last thing we need to sing. We must sing because they become a powerful witness to serve a passion for what the psalmist is making point here, in, that God is making a point in Psalm 96. We must sing to stir our passion to go into the world. We must sing songs to remind us that we're not just here to worship here in this world. We're left on this world for a mission. That there is work undone here in this world. There are still 55% of the 7 billion people who are unreached, who have never heard of Jesus. We need to sing songs that will stir us, motivate us, challenge us. To go into all the world, to every nation, every people, so that they have access to the beautiful good news of Jesus. Earlier we sang the song, Facing a Task and Finish. It was written by a bishop. His name is Frank Houghton. He was a bishop in the Sichuan province in China back in the 1920s. It was during a time where persecution was severe. During that time. In fact, he was the director of what was known at the time, China in Inland Mission. Now uh, is known as OMF, Overseas Missionary Fellowship. Started by Hudson Taylor. He was a director for the mission organization. And, and, and during the time, during heavy persecution, Christians are dying. Christians are, are being, being, being persecuted for their faith, for making known to the world, uh, in, as particularly in China, the good news about Jesus. It was during a prayer meeting, a missionary prayer meeting, that Frank presented this song. He wrote this song, presented this song to sing with his fellow co-workers, to pray to God to send more laborers for God's kingdom. That people would not shrink back from this persecution, but in fact, they were praying for 200 more people, 200 more missionaries to go into these dangerous areas where they could literally be killed for sharing the gospel. And this was the song that he wrote to challenge, to motivate, to stir the heart of, the, of his fellow brothers and sisters. And as they sing that song, by 10 years later, by 1930s, over 200 new missionaries were entering into the most dangerous place where the persecution are, are exceedingly increasing in China. And as a result of that, for many of us, we have our heritage in, 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 in the Chinese culture and in the country, uh, country of China Many people were blessed at the time that we were ta- at the time that they were there. There are less than one million uh, believers, falls of Jesus Christ in China. As far as we know today, the estimate today is this: there are over a hundred million believers in China today. 
Our church is the fruit of labor of people who sing that song and be motivated by, by the Spirit of God that they would give their lives over to face a task and finish so that we can live in the security of our salvation and eternal life in Christ Jesus. This is why we ought to sing. We've got to sing a new song because a word out there needs to hear a new song about Jesus. We, just, we must sing because we need to be stirred and motivated to go to those places. He's singing is just not a gathering of people. And there are plenty of seats on a banqueting table that Jesus has prepared. There's enough food for many out there. And Jesus is calling out to the rest of the world and say, come on in. Come on in. Enjoy this meal with me at the last day. See, your singing, my singing, our singing are bear witness to that. And it ought to motivate us every day, every hour, every week, every month for the rest of our lives to bring the gospel to the ends of the earth. Whether here locally or somewhere else in the furthest corner of, around the world. Man, let's dream. Let's pray. As goer of the gospel as sender of the gospel missionaries, what God can do when we all align our lives to the very calling that God has called us to go declare His glory among the nations. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray that your word will bear fruit in our lives today, that even among us as we listen to your word right now in front of a computer, on our iPhone, on our TV, that you will call us out to be missionaries for you. Lord, there are people, we, you need, we need people who actually physically need to go to those work. We need people to continue to do the global work here on the state side. Wherever we are, God, help us not to shrink back from, faith, uh, from our faith. Help us not to be cowardice, let cowardice take over our lives. Oh, Lord, I pray that we will say yes to your call. Say yes to go into all the world. Say yes to make disciples of all nations. God, I I claim on to the promise from Psalm chapter 2. You said, ask of you. And you said you would give us nations to be our inheritance. Lord, I pray you will raise our workers among us to take hold of the heritage that you have promised us to have that there will be generations of believers, disciple makers who will bring the gospel to the ends of the earth, rising from this place, rising from our church, young and old, Chinese speaking, English speaking. Lord, we lay before you with open hands. Call us, send us, speak to us for your servants are listening. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let us end as we respond to what God has spoken to you by singing, uh, facing a task and finished. And let these lyrics stir our hearts for the global glory of our Lord Jesus Christ.